0: Hey there, world changers. Welcome to another episode of the How to Save the World podcast, where we'll be taking a deep intellectual dive into the academic research about what drives people to take pro-environmental action and behavior. In this episode, we're going to be talking about something that's really close to my heart, and that is using colored lights to signal to people to save energy. That means a light in someone's home or office or city turns red to let you know that you're using too much energy and it turns green when your energy use is low. And that is the core design theme of my work with energy lollipop. And the research shows that colored lights, it's called ambient or persuasive technology, is remarkably effective at shifting behavior. We'll be talking to Professor Jap Ham, he's a cognitive scientist a psychologist and a technologist from the university of eindhoven in the netherlands and he has published multiple papers on this topic including a really fun one about robotic cats that frown at you when your electricity use gets too high so let's dive in to the conversation Welcome to the show, Jub. Thanks for joining me.
1: Yeah, great to be here, uh, Katie, and thanks for having me.
0: Now, could you explain what is persuasive technology? That's a term that a lot of people wouldn't have heard of.
1: In general, without going into definitions, it's something that we use all the time. Technology that's trying to influence us, like uh, your smartphone is trying to keep it on and to check some website or to post something on social media might also be in a bit more of a science fiction kind of form, like a robot that's trying to influence you, which you might, may already encounter in like a hotel or uh, in a shop nowadays. But that's a bit more science fiction. But, but still, such technology can also be technology that somehow to influence you, trying to sell you more shirts or another type of hamburger on which they make a bit more profit. But yeah, it's, it's common already in our daily lives. Technology that's trying to influence our behavior and our thinking.
0: And you talk about the term feedback, which is central to your work with looking at colored lights. When we think about feedback, we think about someone telling us, you know, like, did we do a good job at work? Like, what does feedback mean in the context of your work on colored lights and energy efficiency?
1: Actually, it is quite comparable. If we program our washing machine or, or the programmable thermostat in our homes, uh, we cause that, that system, the, the heater or the, the washing machine, is going to use uh, electricity or gas. Uh, most of the time, we don't have a clue about how much electricity or how much energy such a device is going to use. And when that device gives you feedback, tells you something about the consequence that you have to that uh, device, so to say. caused through using that device, it gives you f- feedback about energy consumption, just as I will be giving you feedback on um, what I think about this blog or this interview, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it sounds so obvious, but it's just a, it's a phrase that most people who are sustainability practitioners do not commonly use. It's something that's used in behavioral psychology mm-hmm. and cognitive science. But this idea that we can yeah. have these real-time data feeds as a, under the umbrella term of feedback, I think it's a yeah. word that we really need to get out.
1: Yeah, um, yeah. and real-time is really important here. So uh, research suggests that sending people an annual energy consumption bill. Is not very effective. Well, it is effective for making them pay the bill, but it's not very effective for making them use less energy. And and giving feedback at the directly at the right moment in time and in place where you're performing the behavior, that's most effective for actually changing the behavior. And very often, actually, diminishing energy consumption too much is not really in the to the advantage of electricity producers and, and the companies that sell you electricity
0: well that's actually one of my later questions to to ask you so if you've got this feedback you've got one it's real time like within a second of it happening mm-hmm. then you can have it maybe a day later like here's how you did yesterday then here's how you did last week Last month, last year, what's the diminishing returns on feedback in terms of real time versus, you know, a couple of hours ago versus a couple of days ago? How much should we be obsessed with getting it as real time as possible?
1: I don't know. We didn't really study that. I also don't know what I had for breakfast for dinner yesterday evening, and with that I mean that uh, indeed information about the past, both us remembering. Okay, um, how did I program my thermostat yesterday? Or how did I program my washing machine yesterday? Something that you forget about. And then, if a day later some system would tell me, okay, yesterday you've used this and that amount of energy, it is really, really difficult to connect that to behavior of yesterday. If indeed, while performing the behavior now, I get feedback. Just like in real life, when I uh, hit myself, hit, my cell, uh, hit uh, some some object, I feel the pain like right now. That's how my learning system works most optimally, without me having to remember. Oh yeah, when I hit my hit the, the door, and then a day later. Every cat's feedback <laughs> about the consisting of pain, that's not. Right, if you got pain to... a
0: day later, you wouldn't be as good yeah. as keeping yourself <laughs> out of trouble. So yeah, it sounds yeah, yeah. like like you haven't done an exact study testing various right. types of feedback, but overall you think, you know, the, the real time is where the real superpower is, which I think we can all Yeah, 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 it, it yeah real time
1: like. and real place, so to say. Mm-hmm. So um, while I'm, I'm performing the behavior at that moment in time, telling people uh, where they are, that place, uh, what what the consequences will be of that behavior. Invisible consequences, that is uh, the artificiality Mm -hmm. of your laundry machine and and of the heating system that you don't really feel what it produces.
0: Right, so real time and real place. Mm -hmm. Now, before we dive more deeply into that, tell me what ambient feedback is. Feedback is the numbers. What is feedback when it is ambient?
1: Feedback doesn't necessarily mean consist of numbers. So um, you can also tell somebody uh, something in a more qualitative way. And our our washing machines that we used in this uh, in these studies, for example, used an energy bar as we called it that uh, showed more LEDs, uh, LEDs um, to pr- presenting white light, so to say. Uh, dependent on how much energy you would uh, consume. For example, if you turn the temperature dial, which is the most important variable, the temperature of the water up, then the energy bar would also quite quickly uh, go up. And and such feedback might present it in many different forms, like for example, in numbers, for example, in an LED bar that goes up or down, or for example, a robot might tell you when it's connected to that system and. and positioned right on top of your laundry of your washing machine, your energy consumption is terrible, sir. Or something like that. And and those forms of feedback that have just sketched are all forms of feedback to which you do need to spend some attention. So you need to listen to that robot, focus a bit on it. You need to look at that uh, number, educating how many kilowatt hours your washing machine will be consuming. And uh, you need to look at that energy bar and many of those forms of, of feedback that you have to look at use a lot of cognitive resources. Like yeah, most people don't have too much of a clue of what kilowatt hours are, but, but also this LED bar, which is much more simple. Of course, the process still needs your attention. And when your kids are harassing you, for example, uh, and, and people do have different and more important goals in their lives than saving energy. Uh, Spending attention to such feedback is really, really difficult, actually, and doesn't fit too well to people's motivation. And what we've done in some other studies is um, investigate whether other forms of feedback, what we call ambient feedback, feedback that's much more a part of your environment, might also be uh, effective. It's feedback to which you don't have to spend too much attention. Like, for example, a lighting source that is present in your room, and that gives you feedback about your energy consumption by changing from red when you use a lot of energy to green when you use only little amounts of energy might might be there and you don't really have to focus too much on it and still your energy consumption behavior for example turning that temperature dial might be influenced we even showed in a study that when you distract people while programming their washing machine and while they're being given this kind of feedback using such a lighting source and, and while you distract them uh, with some additional task, remembering some numbers, that they can still process quite well such ambient feedback, such feedback on which they don't have to focus, and that a, a second distraction task, a secondary distraction task, does interfere with processing numbers, does interfere with processing numerical feedback, consisting of, now uh, you now produce, consume so many kilowatt hours of electricity, or so many kilowatt hours of electricity, That might be quite effective to give people more simple forms of feedback. Just like pain uh, is also a relatively simple form of feedback about which you don't have to think too much. You just get it and, and it directly influences your behavior.
0: That's so interesting the way you just explained it because when I was thinking about what ambient feedback was, I was just thinking of ambient in terms of like it was just kind of in the environment. Like it was kind mm-hmm. of like on the wall or it was out on the street or in the elevator. But the way you've described it is it is those things. But in additional, in addition to that, it's ambient also psychologically in that you can take on other cognitive tasks at the same time. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. a light yeah. on your it's dashboard. You can drive at the same time. Like you can basically drive your car and kind of infer what's going on in the dashboard. Whereas if you actually look at your smartphone and try to think through something, you know, you could have a car accident and die because you can't switch attention. Peripheral also. That's
1: another label that we use for it. It's not like in your focal area, but rather around you.
0: Yeah, I find it really, really fascinating. I'm working on this project called Energy Lollipop, which I just kind of intuitively grasped onto this idea, which is what mm-hmm. led me to find your research, because I'm thinking about how to, you know, save the planet all the time with data. That's the work I do. It's where, what I'm fascinated by. And I thought, can't we just see the, the carbon emissions or the kilowatts, you know, kilowatts, the, the carbon intensity of the kilowatts, just on the street in a colored light? Like, why can't I see that? Why can't I just get a big orb that's out on the street and shows it to everybody? And I just, I kind of think that if everybody was looking at that and it was on all the buildings and on all the, the, the things and in people's houses and stairwells, people would start to, um, t- to change. What are your thoughts on this? community scale ambient feedback like not just in your home or on your computer but what about for your whole school for your town for your city like can it expand to include everyone as a group as well as everyone as an individual and have an effect on people
1: We studied and developed this concept of ambient persuasive technology because we think it's interesting. The most effective forms of feedback, of the most effective forms of influencing human behavior might be those forms that make use of human sensitivity those influencing strategies that people are most sensitive to. And such forms are very often social, like we are very, very sensitive to what other people think of us. For example, we will buy these um, shirts that have a certain label on it, on it to show off how wealthy we are or to show off how much we um, are part of a certain group or, or a cultural uh, community. Uh, even though they're very expensive and, and painful in, in that sense. This indicates that we're very sensitive to if there's somebody else evaluating me, telling me, uh, you look nice today, sir, I'm going to like that person, even though I know nah, he's the only telling me this because he's trying to sell me this wreck of an old car. But still, it's, it's probably going to be an effective sales strategy. He's still using it after all these years of being a car sales agent. And most of his clients know that it's fake, but still it is effective. We love people who are friendly to us. Uh, that Even though you know your employees are doing it on purpose, you still like it. People are like really sensitive <coughs> to even though they know, oh, I'm, I'm falling into the trap again of eating this pizza or um, saying yes to uh, this uh, car sales agent. And, and those strategies, energy consumption feedback systems may also use so they can package their feedback in such a form and and for example use social uh, uh, networks
0: I just want to summarize that because I think that's a pretty novel concept for most people that feedback that is the numbers for example of kilowatt hours you're using Mm -hmm. you or your city or you know water or could be any type of environmental indicator it can come through a non-social mechanism like an app or a chart or it can come through a social mechanism, which could be a human saying, Mm -hmm. but it could be something like as low tech as like, what if someone calls you and says, hi, I'm just giving you feedback that you used, you know, 1.37 kilowatt hours of electricity today. It's coming from a person, but you can also make like an avatar, like a robot. It doesn't have to be a real human and the human can be likable. Like it could compliment you and say, Hey, I just wanted to tell you that you're a really good person and you did a great job. Or I just want to tell you that I'm a little bit annoyed at you right now. And we're far more sensitive, we need to think about how sensitive the Human is to the different types, and yeah, we are yeah. much more sensitive to feedback when it comes from a social form than a non-social form. Am I getting yeah, that yeah,
1: right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it doesn't have to be a real human being that's trying to influence you. Our research suggests, and many other studies actually do, that people are sensitive to uh, to these social strategies that are let loose on them. They have these buttons that that can be pressed, but what or who presses the buttons is not that important so if a robot tells you your hair looks great today sir i'm gonna feel that okay thank you And even when I know, like like our students who very often serve as uh, participants in our studies and they're uh, University of Technology students, they know that robots are not real people and they are not gonna like uh, date them tomorrow or meet them again uh, on the street. And still, when that robot tells me, uh, your hair looks great today, sir, I'm gonna be a bit more willing to do something else that it requests of me, for example, even though I'm quite aware that it's fake.
0: So even if we're lying, if we compliment people, make people feel good about themselves... Then they will like us or the robot or whatever app social application. Yeah, it works is, when people. And then do people it. will be more willing to yeah. do the thing that we're asking them to do. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. So you can also use technology in the form of a social entity, simple smiley or frowny, for example. Even when people know this is not a real human being, still such a smiley or frowny is able to influence them, even subliminally. Yeah, we, we ran a study in which we, we had people program this home thermostat. they could only press the up button or the down button and right next to that button we had uh, included in that thermostat a little gray area on which we presented a smiling or frowning icon face and um, and when you press the up button the frowning face would be displayed and when you press the down button the smiling face would be presented. For one third of our participants that face was presented supraliminally so you could easily see it and uh, for the other Another one third of our participants, that face was only briefly flashed for 27 milliseconds with some little pre-mask in front of it and pre-mask after it, such that there's no after image on, on your eye, on your retina. And, and such a subliminal flash indeed was not, we asked our participants, not seen consciously. And then a third group, Uh, we did not provide with such feedback, such information about whether you're you're causing something positive or negative. And the results of that study suggested that indeed it didn't matter whether we presented that feedback supraliminally or subliminally, very easy to be seen or flashed the feedback. Both types of feedback led to people using less energy for the programming uh, tasks that we had given them
0: that's really fascinating so just to to make sure i've got it right that when you can Mm -hmm. see the smiley face and you consciously know that you're getting a smiley face because you saved energy and you consciously know that you're getting a frowny face that if you flash it so fast that you don't even consciously know it it'll still have more or less the same effect
1: yeah, 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 yeah. And now yeah, this task also was a bit boring to people, probably. So, even those people who consciously saw the face, now yeah, they had to press the buttons and then they saw those faces over and over again. They per- perhaps even did not spend too much attention anymore, even though they could see the faces to those faces because they saw them all the time.
0: Also, I didn't get to answer this question, ask you this question earlier. Can you just summarize the findings from your experiments with the green, the orange, and the red light on people's energy consumption? So in
1: those studies, we used programmable washing machine. I know that our European washing machines are a bit more complex, at least the interfaces, than your American washing machine. So we actually have to
0: I'm just at the laundromat. I'm way down on Maslow's yeah, hierarchy okay. at
1: the laundromat. really simple. The, the, the thermostat dial is something yeah. you can change and the spinning rate and some other buttons. And um, we, we made this virtual washing machine interface on a computer screen in the earlier studies. And in that interface, we included feedback systems, like, for example, an energy bar that goes from low to high levels of energy consumption or a number indicating how many kilowatt hours. And in later studies, we removed such an element from the interface and added to the system uh, right next to the computer screen on the participant's desk a lighting source that gave comparable feedback that went from red to white, indicating something like in the middle, to green indicating low levels of energy consumption. And, and such feedback uh, using coloured light gave people comparable information to the numbers that we presented or the lead bar that we used. And uh, our studies showed that um, when you use such more ambient forms of feedback, light, light coloured lighting, that is, people's energy consumption uh, went down even further Then when we presented this feedback in a more factual form, like presenting numbers or presenting simple evaluation actually of numbers, which-
0: Is that if you had to choose between giving somebody numbers and between giving someone just a colored light with no numbers, the colored light has a better effect than showing people the numbers.
1: Yeah, the more simple, the better. And in addition, also in in this um, line of research, we ran one study in which we distracted people with a secondary task. And also here we, f- we found, or did I already tell, you, that um, indeed when they have to do a second task, that colored lighting is still information that people seem to be able to process, whereas such a secondary task diminishes the effectiveness of numbers that they have to process to uh, be able to reduce their energy consumption.
0: That's really fascinating about color, which is something that I use in all. I don't know if you ever had a look at the design work I do, but I'm always using color central mm-hmm. to the to the feedback and then layering mm-hmm. over other types of behavioural psychology mechanisms. But yeah, with the yeah. smiley face, one that you mentioned that it's it still works when it's flashed so quickly, do you think if you have coloured light and people don't even notice the coloured light, like let's say at the bottom of your apartment building when you walk in the door, there's a light and it's changing between different colours depending on you know, what your electricity usage has been for the day and you're just walking in and out of your house and you're not kind of noticing it, or maybe it's out on the street or it's in an office building with people there. Do you think if the colored light is there and you say, did you notice the colored light? And people are like, oh, I I don't know. No, I don't know. I got lots of things on and busy going to a meeting. Do you think it would be kind of like the subliminal smiley face that it would be unconsciously affecting people, even if they're not totally registering what color it was today or that hour? Yes.
1: So If indeed that lighting source will be close to the time and place where you perform the behavior that causes energy consumption, people don't have to spend attention too much to such energy consumption feedback. However, if you will put that lighting source outside of my own apartment, like in the central hallway, it would be quite disconnected from my own particular behavior that causes certain energy consumption consequences. And and making that link between, okay, the light is red today. And that's maybe because this morning I have used my laundry uh, dryer machine which uses a lot of energy. For such a link, you need a lot of prefrontal cortex uh, thinking may probably become way less effective. So if the feedback system is right on top of the time and place of your behavior, then it's going to be effective. And then you don't have to spend too much attention to it. However, if I want to give you feedback about something that happened yesterday, I have to get your attention. You really have to think a bit about it, right? And, and then you are, some, you are able to change your behavior the next time you have to do it. But it costs much more cognitive effort.
0: My um, my co-founder just got our energy lollipop app and he put it on a, a little iPad, or what do they call like a like a little tablet, and just like sticky taped it to the washing machine because it shows yeah. the carbon intensity of the grid. Yeah. Um, we we ran
1: a study actually in which we added eyes, picture like like one your daughter could have made of two eyes to a washing machine, to the wall next to a washing machine. In the third condition, no eyes were present in the vicinity of the washing machine. And indeed, when we found that both for the first and the second condition caused people to use less energy as compared to the third condition. So if somebody is was watching you, either the machine or some eyes on the wall, then people used the less energy.
0: Do the um, eyes need miss- to light up red if they're using too no, much? No, no, or no, no, green. no. So just static so there's they not just
1: static eyes, not static doing eyes. anything. So, yeah, there's a, quite some research on giving people the experience that they're being watched.
0: I and, remember and seeing that. It's like people... Social come.
1: facilitation, this is called.
0: They give yeah, more money in the honesty box. If yeah, there's like yeah, a sign yeah, that, yeah, that has too, the yeah. eyes. And so if like, in general,
1: you know as a proper behavior is to use only little amounts of electricity, then indeed the, this study suggested that when people feel watched, They're going to show more proper behavior.
0: Developing all these complicated smart meter APIs and apps. (laughs) And maybe we could just do a big mailbox drop of eyes. And just to like, don't worry about the technology, just do it with plain paper and just like stick it on the washing machine. Maybe use some social norms, get people to photograph themselves in front of their washing machine eyes and put it on Instagram. And
1: And, and we haven't really studied long-term effectiveness of such uh, simple influencing strategies like of eyes. I do remember a study by a guy, a guy from the Netherlands. He studied people's energy consumption behavior while they were using their laptop. And they told, he told all his participants, okay, if you turn off your laptop during lunch break, then you're going to use less energy. At the end of each week, he gave all of his participants a piece of paper on which their energy consumption was described. In kilowatt hours and to half of his participants in addition to that uh, piece of paper he gave them uh, an envelope with a bit of money in it that is 10 times as much as the uh, amount of the, the value of the electricity that they had saved and the other half of his participants he gave the same piece of paper and now had written with pen on that piece of paper, smiley or frowny, dependent on, on their energy consumption and a little message like well done or could be better and uh, thereby giving them a social form of feedback instead of a monetary form of feedback, a reward. And uh, he measured people's energy consumption for a period of like uh, six months. And in the first three months of that, he indeed gave them each week uh, this feedback, either the, the little letter with money or the letter with the handwriting on it. And both groups diminished their energy consumption. Not too many differences there. After the three months had ended, he stopped giving feedback, but the electricity measurement devices were still there, so he just kept his setup running. He found out that those people who had been given financial rewards for saving energy quite quickly returned back to their normal energy consumption, like like before the whole experiment, but before the intervention. But the group that had received uh, in those first three months a social form of feedback continued uh, for a longer period of time using uh, less energy. This suggests that if indeed you use those strategies that people more naturally are sensitive to, uh, then you tap into systems that can be more effective and that can also be more enduring. It might indeed be the case that these lighting sources that change color remain effective even after a couple of months. And and we know actually from a lot of about a lot of websites where people can log in to get information about their energy consumption. You have these smart meters in people's homes now, right? And there's these websites that your electricity company may give you access to, to on which you can get information about your energy consumption and other measures that most people only log in once and then never again anymore. Well, so, yeah, this is why
0: we more. why we have these conversations. So people like us and hopefully other people mm-hmm. listening, our job is to design these interfaces. I mean, I get hired by companies like this to design these mm-hmm. Interfaces. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's funny. I actually actually did get hired by a fairly established building energy company, and I've done multiple projects for them. And the mm-hmm. first draft of the designs, I put um like smiley faces on all of the building mm-hmm. energy use, like mm-hmm. um and a like a concerned face if if a building it was for commercial building. And the first draft of feedback, they said, "Katie, it needs to look more professional. Please take all the emojis off." And I was like, "Oh, you guys don't understand because they're all like mechanical engineers and they're very corporate." So so unfortunately, yeah, the yeah, powerful also, bit of feedback, they, they wanted to take it away. But I was like, I haven't even gotten into the watermelons and caterpillars yet, guys, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I was uh, like, yeah. I could go really crazy.
1: And, and certain strategies might be effective to certain people. And that's a topic that we haven't really touched upon and it's called personalizing persuasive technology, making it more well suited for certain types of people. So for some people, you have to do this because the doctor tells you to do it, it might be quite effective and they, and they will do it. If you wear a white coat they'll, and you tell them uh, use less energy, they'll do it. But there's also people who, become, who don't like such an influencing strategy and who become reactant when you tell them what to do. And for such people, other strategies might be more effective. For some people smileys that look a bit childish or whatever may be quite very effective uh, they may love such pictures for other people they may also be effective but in addition to that it may also make them feel a bit uneasy or um, dislike the technology and, and then perhaps for sure sort of for those people you may have to choose different forms of, uh, of, of persuasive technology
0: Ah, because I remember in one of the lines, I highlighted it. And now I can't remember what the three things were. They were from Cialdini. And he said that Mm. there were three main ways to influence people. One was um, the um, was social norms that we want to copy, imitate other people. The other one was what you mentioned, which is that it's sort of authoritative. We want to follow the rules. And now I can't remember the third one. What was it? Uh, But there were these three kind of central mechanisms for influencing behavior. And now both of us can't remember the third one.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So there are a lot of strategies, actually, that have been identified. There's this uh, professor from uh, London University College, Susan Mickey, and she has identified a couple of hundred influencing strategies. She focuses on the domain of health, influencing health behavior, but also in those strategies can be used for many other domains. So, um, yeah, that's really a developing uh, area of of identifying, clustering, influencing strategies. There are so many people are influenced, influence one another also in so many different ways, combining strategies to one another, first doing some pre-work like bonding to people and then starting to pose uh, certain questions, right?
0: Being a little bit too linear about it, saying people are just influenced by... The threat of getting in trouble or because they just want to copy or imitate or compare themselves to other people. You think these are a little bit too narrow and we should be quite inventive and expansive in thinking about all the many, many ways that you can influence human behavior, but kind of still grounded in the theory of understanding how humans behave.
1: Yeah, but there's a lot of theories and, and there's a lot of theories and no consistency yet in the domain of psychology to what the basics are of what drives people, makes people tick. There's so many different sources of uh, influence around us continuously. And and technology is trying to make people do certain things, like for example, save energy, consume less energy, um, has to compete with those other forms of uh, technology in a way. The shower gives you warm water and is influencing you in a way, uh, right, to to stay there for a longer period of time and turning that uh, warm water tap down yeah, it's going to be difficult to make people do that.
0: You mentioned before the, um, the amount of sort of cognitive load and the amount of concentration and brain matter we have for behaviours. In that area of thinking, a lot of th- one thing that a lot of people don't know about in sustainability and environmental change is that they, people make the assumption that if we just educated people and if we got people to care... That would be enough. Then we would create change. We call it the the value action gap or the information deficit hypothesis. And I talk about this stuff all the time. And I would say 98% of people I talk to, like professional sustainability folk, have never heard of it before. Like it's just not getting out there, this concept. And so people think that if we just know all about it, that 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 education and that concern for the earth, what's it called a biospheric appeal, will um, really work to get people to act and it doesn't work and partly it doesn't work partly because it's so intellectual and cerebral and takes so much kind of thought to really comprehend these like really sort of big scale issues but also like what you've been discussing about the persuasive technology it doesn't happen at the time and the place and it doesn't happen in real time so it's actually probably one of the least effective ways to get people to change can you just Talk a bit more about the sort of failure of educational approaches to behavior change.
1: There's a lot of campaigns that the Dutch government, for example, has financed and run on national television to educate people on um, sustainability related issues. And those campaigns are quite effective, quite effective in informing people and changing their attitude about uh, sustainability. Everybody thinks now, yeah, we should save the planet, but actually changing your own behavior and understanding what the link is between your own behavior and saving the planet, which is quite a big goal, right, is, is difficult and is is not uh, that clear, even in those campaigns. So the precise consequences of me today dropping a few batteries in the garbage bin and not bringing them uh, to some special deposit, I don't know what the consequences of that are. Making use of those inborn sensitivities that people have is probably much more effective and can bypass this whole cognitive system that we can also use for other purposes and change behavior much more directly. People know that they should stop smoking and still it is really really difficult for them. You can confront them with the negative consequences of smoking like on cigarette packages and they'll show off those pictures to their friends and try to collect as many packages with uh, gross pictures on them as possible. Indeed it's gonna work as one of the strategies in a large set of strategies that you use. So we do have to educate people, we do have to inform them to use their, their brain, but also we need to use the rest of the system. And that's, most of that system is sensitive to these more unconscious influencing strategies.
0: So from what I understand, that we can use education in this concept of priming. Like the education won't be necessarily the thing that gets you to act. I mean, you would really have to have a very powerful, very passionate, almost like an outlier of a person, you know, to sort of watch a documentary on climate change and then you go through your life and you just fix everything up. And there are people like that, but they're quite rare, those people, with most people, that you understand education and emotional concern as sort of a base layer primer and then you need to add Mm -hmm. the behavioral psychology levers on top which is you know like feedback being in the right time in the right place using data using social comparison comparing people with the the social robotic agent and all these mechanisms I mean do you see it that way that one's sort of like like a base coat almost and then there's the action is like the hook on top Mm.
1: uh not Necessarily. So um, those interesting strategies to to which people are naturally sensitive are going to be effective even when you don't know anything about sustainability and the relationship between energy consumption and and the polar bear dying or whatever. If you see a smiley when you perform a certain behavior and a frowny when you uh, perform another behavior, your behavior is going to be influenced into a certain direction. So there's no necessity for you having some understanding of the sustainability-related effects of that behavior. There's some, some buttons that are just so primitive and primal, so to say, that they're going to be effective and bypass that cognitive system completely.
0: I was listening to a um, a podcast the other day from a a guy who studies chimpanzees and psychology or or, or something, mm-hmm. and he was talking about like, which is what you mentioned about things being primitive parts of the brain, and that. Some people get upset when I tell them that education is not the best way to do behavior change because I think it's a sign. Uh, That's what I say. I say basically education isn't a very strong way to get people to, to change and getting people to care about the planet isn't very strong. And one thing that is strong is getting people to compare each other. And people can get really upset by that sometimes. They're like basically what I'm saying is that humans are fundamentally evil, that caring doesn't lead to action because we're so selfish and lazy and that all we care about is keeping up with the Joneses and competing with each other and these are these two things are just these like terrible afflictions and that we should be fundamentally intrinsically motivated and people are kind of sad by that and I kind of say no 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 these are not bad things these are just the way the brain is now I don't understand that much about neuroscience but from what I I am starting to understand is that there is a there are primitive fundamental parts of the brain, that the, that the way humans as an organism for us to get food, to um be able to survive, that we work together in tribes, that the, the coordination of humans and so being able to trust and trust other people. So that's another thing that's in behavioral psychology, doing pledges, commitment devices, asking, mm-hmm. you know, would you like to commit to this, right? That trust between people is these fundamental old parts of the brain, old evolutionary meaning old. And you know how we are we getting good feedback from people? Does the tribe like us or does not like us? Are we keeping up with the tribe's norms? Are we fitting in? And that when we're using these mechanisms, we're getting into these very primal parts of the brain. And when we're watching a documentary on polar bear ecology, we're in a much more modern evolutionary. Um, speaking, modern part of the of the brain. So it's yeah. just not going to kind of like strike us as deeply. I mean, does that sound like I'm kind of seeing it right when I explain it like yeah. that? Yeah.
1: Now, so these documentaries, of course, use a mixture of of influencing strategies that are a bit more simple and don't need too much cognitive attention, like uh, certain forms of music in the background, right, and, and dying animals, but, but also um, yeah, information to which you need, do need to spend much more attention. So both can be, have their own effects. However, a documentary is not very precisely connected to your own behavior. And it doesn't hurt you, that documentary, I mean, when you press the up button of the thermostat in your living room from uh, the place where you actually cause the behavior. Oh interesting
0: would, interesting yeah. it doesn't give you any kind of feedback or pain or it's not connected to mm. your own personal use at all
1: It'll make you feel depressed <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and and indeed yeah these motivational systems that people have are connected of course very much to uh, what we think about and how we're processing information and, and stuff so we are able to change our behavior also using uh, much more conscious mental mechanisms So we are able to change our behavior, but it's a bit more effortful and and difficult and we don't do it too often. And what we do very often is allow ourselves to be steered around by the situation. And whether people are inherently evil, that's not quite a thing that I would say. But but what we do say and and what social psychology uh, helps us understand is that very often people are steered around by their situation. Not necessarily too much by characteristics of them themselves but rather by things that shape their behavior in the environment like for example the elevator being hidden in the corner of the building behind some doors and the uh, oh no, the other way around the stairwell being hidden and the elevator in the center of the building it's the environment that makes me use the elevator so uh, we should change people's environments thereby change people's behavior. And then you're like, again, on top of people's behavior and and both in time and in place.
0: Well, this is something that that happens a lot. I would say maybe one in every 20 or 30 Uh people I talk to. Often people in my world I'm reaching out to or talking to, I would say one in 20 or 30 people, just says to me, I think behavior change as a field is just kind of bs because ultimately we need to change the system and why would we bother trying to change or understand individual people's behavior when like you said with the elevator i mean the elevator should have the stairs should have been built that way in the first place and there's a that's a really big discussion and there's a lot to that but i mean the reality is that we have systems that have been built for us badly and we can't you can't just go to your office building and suddenly be like hey let's like switch the whole building design around, take the building out and build a new one. We are living in systems that have been designed badly. And so we need to get from here to there. And we need to understand human psychology and how to make these incremental shifts towards the better design. And um, it really is about ultimately changing the system.
1: Yeah, the user is part of the system. And and we develop technology. and, And yeah, of course, there's old cars, there's old buildings that will be around for some time. But if we develop these new cars, new buildings... That, for example, are able to save energy, use less energy. People will use them in such a way. If you don't take care of also influencing user behavior, that they consume more energy than would be necessary. Which such car research shows that when people are able to drive more miles on a gallon of gas, uh, they buy homes a bit further away because their housing prices are a bit lower and now with the same amount of gas you can drive a bit further. So the total equation of uh, energy consumption does not go down even when people drive more sustainable cars. People leave on the energy saving light bulbs the whole night because they think ah, it doesn't use any electricity at all or at least to a very low amount. It's an energy-saving light. I do so, that. Um, yeah, I do that. I leave my, all my technology. LED lights Taking, on
0: <laughs> a lot.
1: Uh, you might also switch them off. We need to take care of both behavior and also uh, the innovation. Yeah, they're related to one another.
0: Essentially, when you're looking at an entire system of many people, thousands or even millions of people, mm-hmm we can't necessarily stop people doing everything because that would be a uh, a fascist totalitarian regime where you are you are only allowed to drive your car 20 miles a week otherwise you get put in jail i mean uh, that would be crazy right so we do allow people yeah. to have individual freedoms but so we need to employ these nudges and these type of behavioral designs in the system which is ultimately is designing the system it's not oh let's just change the world through individual behavior alone essentially individual behavior design kind of is system design when you're thinking about it like that
1: yeah 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 and all technology that we develop indeed is now yeah, much of it is developed for people and 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 takes into consideration characteristics of the user. And if we think of the person in a certain way, like, for example, is lazy and then we're going to develop technology that doesn't really make people responsible themselves. And t- developing technology is not just developing technology. It's also developing technology for people and developing technology in some kind of ethical, cultural ecosystem in which we have a certain. It's uh, model of people and, and ideas about your individual freedom, for example.
0: I wanted to Never jump into this idea freedom. of yeah. shaming and negative feedback. Because in your research, it showed that when people got oh, yeah. negative feedback, like they get the frowny face or they get the red light it works better than getting the green light. Uh, however, one thing that people ask me a lot, they say, oh but Katie, if you put people in a leaderboard and you tell them they're doing a bad job and you show that oh, you were the worst environmental performer of everyone else, isn't that shaming? Isn't shaming bad? Can you just talk yeah. a little bit more about why negative feedback is more powerful? Perhaps why perhaps we should not be afraid of giving people negative feedback and at what point does it become shaming? Should we not go too far? What's the kind of healthy? range of negative feedback before people will shut it down as um, shaming
1: what we've studied is the effects of certain forms of feedback on energy consumption behavior and uh, some of those forms of feedback were social forms of feedback and there we found and but also for the non-social forms of feedback actually that the negative versions of that feedback were more effective than the positive versions of the feedback taking into account that when you're receiving positive feedback, sometimes you can't save too much more because you're already doing quite well. Reasons for this might be several. For example, people may not like it too much to be negatively evaluated by other people. Uh, People positively evaluating is really nice, but people negatively evaluating you negatively is like could be deadly in an earlier society, people distrusting you, can really impact your own survival chances. There's much more research in psychology that shows that negative information is much more salient to people than positive information. And Nobel Prize winning economists showed people dislike a lot to lose money and and also like, but less so, not not in in a mirrored way, winning the same amount of money. So it's negative information that really stands out to people and uh, especially perhaps when it comes from other people in their evaluation of you
0: We'd all been there, haven't we, where like you get like all these compliments on something you've done, and then one person is rude. And yeah. even though you got like 300 you compliments, keep on
1: thinking about all that. you
0: can think about is like yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. the mean Why? person.
0: And you're like, oh, it's yeah, just like yeah, so yeah. sharp. And,
1: and what we haven't studied, of course, is other types of effects of negative information. It might be the case that when this robot or this um, artificial social agent on screen uh, tells you... Uh, something about your energy consumption and keeps on telling you your energy consumption is terrible, sir. <laughs> that after a while, you just switch it off. Or if you're given the chance, you, the chance you buy another type of washing machine that doesn't contain such an... It might be quite effective, but it may also have other negative consequences. And of course, when you are selling a product, like for example, uh, electricity, you don't want the customer to start hating you or have a negative feeling about your, your company. So. Um,
0: well that's yeah, what yeah, happened that's with Opower. Do you know you must know the company Opower that gives you mm-hmm. a um, a social comparison chart in your L. bill. Oh yeah yeah, bill. yeah. I went to a talk that they did once and Uh they said they gave people like a a frowny face. You either got a frowny face or like a neutral face or like a smiley face. It was just a medium, good or bad. And they got so many complaints about the frowny face that they had to get rid of the frowny face altogether. I don't know if they were being overly sensitive to it. Sometimes they might've just had a few people complaining, but anyway, anyway, they got rid of the frowny face because people were outraged at their frowny face. And so now you get nothing, one smiley face or a double smiley face. I mean like that's how kind of sensitive and lame people are I'm like really guys you can't handle are you really that emotionally fragile that you can't handle like uh, a frowny face that now you need to have like a double smiley face
1: may indeed have lost yeah the the powerful form of negative social feedback I have had a lot of discussions with my colleagues on the other side of the swinging door at our department who are the philosophers and they I have certain perspectives and, and reasoning about uh, how you might be, might, how you should influence people, how you can do it, how you're allowed to do it. They have a lot of um, issues with subliminal feedback, of course. And one of the solutions that they proposed was: well, you could ask people up front something like, okay, we have this influencing system here, it's going to be quite effective. Here's some research to back that up. Um, however, yeah, you may not like it too much. Or Um, it's going to influence you in unconscious ways. Just sign here and then you're going to buy it yourself. So either you do it or or not, you buy into it or not. And then when they do say yes to it, you might be able to uh, use such influencing strategies, unconscious ones or even negative ones, uh, that mm. day so we ask
0: people to agree to the frowny face, say, would you like to have this feedback? And if you do badly at electricity, you will get frowny faces, maybe even like a really angry frowny face from time to time. <laughs> and then if they like accept it, I mean, I of the opinion that people just need to suck it up and just grow a bit of a spine and deal with like it's not like like real shaming is like saying, you know, you're an asshole, you're fat, or you're ugly, or I hate you. Like that's like a nasty, abusive thing to experience. Like we're not in any way doing that. We're just mm-hmm. showing people data with a little bit of a, you know, sort yeah, of a, yeah, a, yeah. a nudge to it. And I, I don't think people, these systems of negative feedback should be canned because the occasional hypersensitive person can't deal with a, a frowny face.
1: Yeah, there is a balance, of course. So people need energy and uh, and you don't want them yeah, be to be confronted with negative uh, feedback continuously until they uh, use zero energy. There may also be other forms of influencing that you might use to uh, make people use less energy. For example, in a very intriguing line of research, we used the color of room lighting to influence people's comfort level perceptions. We put people in this room to do some tasks. Um, distract them basically actually. And then for half of our participants in that room we had installed white uh, ceiling lights of which the white color was a bit more towards the red side. And for the other half of our participants that white color was a bit more on the bluish side like like in an office and the, and the first the reddish one being a bit more like at home. And uh, after some tasks, we also asked people to fill out some questionnaires containing amongst others questions about comfort levels in that particular room. And also uh, questions asking them for an an estimate of the room temperature and questions about their intentions, their willingness to change the room temperature. And we found an influence of such lighting changes of which people were not aware. Uh, They were also between participants actually, so some participants had the one, some had the other type of lighting but they didn't notice anything about the lighting and still that lighting influenced people's comfort perceptions, um, more red lights leading to higher comfort perceptions and lower uh, intentions of people to diminish room temperature by changing the thermostat settings. You might also do that in summer, perhaps. We haven't studied it. Um, Diminishing people's um, urge to turn on the air conditioner and uh, thereby changing people's situations. Um, You might be able to to change their perceptions and to change their energy consumption behavior.
0: Well, I think that could be potentially quite applicable to commercial buildings when you have a lot of fluorescent lights and mm-hmm. a lot of people you know commercial buildings account for about half of all of the electricity electricity used and um, you've got architects and interior designers specifying all of the lighting so if they know that there's this relationship between the the building um, the BMS setting of the temperature range they'll be able to nudge that a little bit and if you have ever worked in commercial buildings everybody knows that it's the BMS that is the big driver of the um, well, basically the temperature, for anyone who doesn't know, the temperature settings, the range, the coolest and the highest point in the in the setting. But if you can nudge that a little bit, that's yeah, where yeah, all of yeah. your carbon winds yeah. are. And, and
1: there may also be other determinants related to people's... Uh...
0: Now you've run experiments where you get a little robotic cat, right? And the cat tells you that you're doing a good job or you're doing a bad job and it smiles or it frowns and its ears light up green or red. And the effect that that has on energy consumption... It seems to be that this robotic cat is quite a creative solution. It's kind of a, a lot more complicated than a smiley face or a frowny face. And when I think about this, I think, wow, we could get like so creative. We could have like little creatures that kind of live on your desktop and cool little little animals or, you know, outdoor lights. What if we had like a um, a giant bear like in the middle of the city? a creature and the giant bear, you know I mean, like 20 feet high, something like a big art installation. And it changed color like all through the day, depending on how the city was doing. And it smiled. Maybe it had like a screen on its T-shirt and it said like, hey, San Francisco, or hey, where's the city where you are? Is it Eindhoven? Is that the city or is that the... That's
1: yeah, the city. city. Hey,
0: Eindhoven, good job, bad job. 800 you know? years old. <laughs> the bear. Your bear is
1: a very creative idea. Well, the, the The cat was like on top of my washing machine, right?
0: Okay. Yeah, so
1: uh, one response to the bear, the bear is over there (laughs) and it's not on top of my washing machine. So even though I know, oh, the city is doing good or bad, what does that tell about me? We've we've run research on um, giving people group feedback as for energy consumption, in which um, they were told, yeah, your group is doing quite well. But, and also at the same time, we gave them individual feedback and and research, uh, that research suggested that some people, indeed, are uh, sensitive to group feedback. But that were the participants whom we studied in Japan. But when we ran the, study and ran the study in the Netherlands, it was mainly individual feedback that people received that they were sensitive to. Telling them your group is doing quite well, they didn't care too much about it. Telling them you are doing quite well and you're being the best of the group or the worst in the group. That's what they responded to in our Dutch sample. And probably in America, you'll find even uh, more individual responses. Yeah. So the bear is in the middle of the city and it's not telling me too much about my own energy consumption behavior.
0: When I look at the study on the robotic cat, and I look at that, that's a much more creative delivery than just mm-hmm. a smiley face or a frowny face. And I think, you know, like I'm a, I'm a designer, I'm always thinking of creative ideas. I think, wow, how creative can we make these feedback systems? Can we get, you know, Pixar involved and can we get some animators and can we go all out with like the character expressions and have people really bond with them and have it hatch out of an egg and uh, really make elaborate social avatar. How yeah. much bang for the buck do you think we'll get going from the crudest smiley frowny face right up to like something like highly elaborate in terms of its the way it affects people the causal mechanism of what it gets yeah. people to do
1: So so research on the effectiveness of social influencing strategies suggests that it is relatively simple buttons in people's uh, cognitive systems that you have to press and that just presenting that basic form of a smile and two eyes can already do the trick and that adding texture of the skin to such a face or hair or whatever doesn't matter too much. It is those basic elements that should be in there or not a frowning face or a smiling face and um, investing too much in the technology in um, hiring such an expensive company probably doesn't add too much to its effectiveness. It may add to other uh, things like, for example, people's uh, evaluation of your feedback, whether they like the movie or the the technology. That's going to be influencing, but that may also be important, whether it's attractive to them, whether they buy it when they see it. Basic uh, effectiveness probably won't increase too much because, yeah, we feel bad when something doesn't even have to be a human being. We don't even have to be aware or think that it is a human being somehow somehow behind this technology. Even if we know that's totally fake, still this frowny or smiley is going to be effective. So, yeah, investing in uh, expensive technology is not too much worthwhile there, probably.
0: Ah, so you've just like slaughtered my idea of working with Pixar to make like this incredible (laughs) animated creature. But I think what you said, it might help, for example, with like marketing, you know, the the people might be attracted to it just for the marketing rather than the actual thing that creates the change. Yeah,
1: and and indeed what we have, for example, not studied is how to sell these smart thermostats in a store uh, to people, for example.
0: Well, that's um, interesting. was one of my other questions is that I've seen a lot of these colored lights before. You know, I put a book mm-hmm. together on all this stuff. Um, there was like the ambient orb. I've seen them on Kickstarter. Right. One of my friends did one called the Glow Light. Mm-hmm. And although it seems to be that this the the behavioral science stands up that when you see the light, people respond. You know, I'm working on one called Energy Lollipop as well. But they don't seem to be, have been commercialized and be out there. It doesn't seem to be that it's not that hard to have every house and every city basically have a light that just communicates the kilowatts of carbon emissions. Do you have any insight into why that none of this stuff seems to have commercially gotten off the mm. ground?
1: A home heating system does give you very simple base feedback as for temperature uh, by uh, making the room more comfortable or not. But indeed, the, these companies haven't really provided us with too simple feedback as for energy consumption.
0: Market for it ...that there is for other things, like unless the utility or the government is going to pay for it. I mean, I don't know if people are going to be racing out to spend, and often they're expensive, you know, they're like $100 on a light. I mean, that's probably how much it would have to be, you know, to work, to, to be able to sort of cover its costs. Uh, yeah. But it's kind of a we shame. Have... It's like a really great idea that could be yeah. really important, but... There's yeah. just not a, a natural sort of free market mechanism for it.
1: No. Yeah, and, and also there is no platform on which programmers uh, can, can use people's smart home data or somehow uh, connect uh, to that data and present certain types of interfaces. So it is only the electricity companies that have access to your data, basically, and they can present it to you in certain forms. Um, if you will be able to take that data stream somehow and give it to a psychologist and they will be able to build uh, different forms of interfaces. You could test many, many interfaces and see which ones are more effective, most effective uh, run interfaces on people's smartphones, etc. So there's still so many opportunities. Uh, that we, could-
0: we actually have one here in California. It's a pg and API, except it's so badly done. It's impossible mm-hmm. to use their API, and the data is two days old. Um, we built yeah, yeah. one of our, and we built a really beautiful application of it, but it's kind of, uh-huh. um, it, it's just not good computer science for, like, hacking things together. If you know a bit of computer programming and a bit of HTML and you can kind of try an interface, you know, maybe mm-hmm. a bit of PHP, like, it's not that easy to use. You should be able to get, with sort of my level of programming skills, which is like just a bit, like I should be able to program something up and I would not be able to, it would be too hard for me to get like a a thread.
1: Our research suggests that indeed systems with personality pretending to be a social entity can be much more effective than presenting people with numbers and still they didn't do it, but they sold it as a person. So that's the first step perhaps.
0: (laughs) Well, so how did all of that design process happen from all those people at your utility, and that they didn't check in with you and people like you? Like, they what's did. the disconnect yeah, going on? And then they didn't. That so they did check in with you. Company,
1: yeah, and we, draw, we we told them, okay, we can help you out, but it's going to cost you a bit of money. And then so they, they said, didn't. Okay, they
0: that's didn't too take expensive. your advice. That's what you're saying. They, and
1: also when they, they the company that actually did build the technology for them was uh, and, and gave them advice on how to build it was a marketing company so that is indeed also an important consideration about which we uh, don't have too much of a clue
0: right but ultimately you know it needs to do the behavior at the end of the day so it seems it seems to me which is partly why i'm doing this podcast why i'm so fascinated by this work is that the decisions that are being made from government spending and utilities and cities are not versed in this and they're not doing it Properly, as good as yeah, they and could. it's also
1: not totally in their interest so Dutch electricity companies are obliged to diminish energy consumption by three percent a year for each customer that they sell it to but that's not too much and and they, it's a very soft requirement so uh, yeah they can tell uh, the government okay we couldn't make it because people buy more equipment so um, they're using more electricity it's my own interest as a consumer to reduce my energy consumption. So if I or some organization of consumers would be like more in charge of these data and how they present it to me, perhaps, then uh, the government does try to do it correct, right? Sometimes there's these smiling and frowning faces right next to freeways, for example. Or uh, Mm. streets. It's
0: it's like a failure of market mechanism uh, incentives that's going on. Well, this has been fascinating, Jap. I've just got three questions to finish up our conversation today. And so the first one is, if you could have anything you wanted to happen in the future, where would you want persuasive technology in regards to environmental behaviours? Where would you want it to be in 100 years?
1: I'm, I'm quite sure that there's going to be a lot more persuasive technology around technology that's going to influence our behavior, also influencing our energy consumption behavior, also making us do other things uh, that are somehow considered uh, positive for our society. At the same time, I also think it, it is very important to help people defend themselves. Using uh, assistance, use assistive technology, defend yourself against influencing strategies, not get hooked by your, um, your, your smartphone, for example. And, and try to resist such influencing attempts. And and also technology might start helping us out. Like a reminder on my smartphone, might tell me, uh, okay, yeah, take care. Uh, yeah, up here, there's this influencing strategy that they use to which you are like super sensitive. So uh, don't fall in the same trap again. That balance is, is also very, very important to me, I'd say.
0: Yeah. All right, so you'd want us to be in a in a future where persuasive technology is used for good not evil where everybody can individually sort of select the the bits that will help us and be able to ward off the persuasive technology that's trying to be
1: very 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 difficult and hard like it is already now these devices sucking up our attention
0: second right. question is in the real world of sustainability managers who are trying to implement this stuff in governments and not-for-profits and cities, what would be the advice that you would give to them to best use behavioral psychology, feedback, persuasive technology to get you know better at their sustainability goals?
1: There's a lot of knowledge out there in the domain of behavior change that you can use and, and use it because yeah, it's there, it's free most of the time. We try to publish open access nowadays in science. So uh, we give all the knowledge away for free. And, and, and you should be able to use it and, and build influencing technology um, that is really effective in changing behavior. Yeah.
0: yeah, but the first thing is that people have to know about environmental psychology. They don't even know to look up the papers because they don't even know it exists. So that's my job to get out there yeah. and kind yeah. of like beat the drum and trying to keep, you know, help turn the papers into usable stuff. And last question, what are you most excited about in your research right now?
1: Influencing people through their environment, through comfort experiences, through these unconscious channels, that's like really uh, very, very intriguing, like, for example, in that lighting example that I used in which you use more white, uh, sorry, more bluish or more red lighting to influence human behavior.
0: Well, that was fascinating to discuss with you. I really hope we can help get the message out there because I would love to see more uh, coloured lights and feedback mechanisms out there you know, being used and being implemented. I don't think the technology is that hard to do and I don't really see any reason why mm-hmm. we can't be doing it um, more and it's something I'm really excited to work on and see where it happens. So um, thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Thanks for having me. It's always a lot of fun to talk about my own research, of course, and and to help it get out in the world.
0: Yeah, well, hopefully we can um we can make it happen. So um thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening all the way to the end of the episode. I just think that this space of research of using colored or ambient light to drive behavior around electricity consumption is such an un Tapped resource for change. I mean, 40 to 50 percent of electricity is wasted. That's a huge slice of the carbon dioxide emissions pie. And we're not very good at getting people to stop wasting electricity, and it is one of the most low hanging fruit options we have. And you know, I don't understand why we're not already having colored light signals to us everywhere on our browser on the street on appliances on our wall in our kitchen in our schools like why isn't it not signaling to us everywhere to help us to save electricity i mean we get the stock market tells us what it's doing all the time in screens everywhere there are digital screens that show the weather everywhere but the biggest issue of our time climate change why is that not being signaled And why not using colour as the core persuasive technique to get people to act? And the research about cats' faces, I mean... Why does change have to be boring? I mean, why can't we have funny faces smiling and frowning at us everywhere on our quest towards decarbonizing the uh, electricity grid and all of the other energy resources? This is why I study the academic research on environmental psychology, because it's what underpins me getting ideas. Uh, And I think we need to all be doing a lot more research into the academic papers and learning what we can from them and then feeding that research into all of the work that we do so Thank you for listening. If you haven't already signed up to my website, katiepatrick.com, you should do that to get on the list for all the things that are going on. And if you didn't already know about it, I actually host a monthly group Zoom call where we can all be a part of these episodes together. So jump on to katiepatrick.com forward slash Fitbit so you can be part of the group. We have maybe 20 or 50 plus people. And you can actually ask these experts questions yourself. And if you haven't got a copy of my book, How to Save the World, jump on Amazon or my website. You can get it there as well. It's a really great synopsis of all of the psychological influence techniques that you can apply to any type of environmental change that you want to make. And if you love this type of research and content I produce, I'd be delighted if you wanted to donate to the How to Save the World Patreon. It's at patreon.com forward slash Patrick. And it really helps to continue to support me to do this work of extracting the knowledge of environmental psychology from these academic papers and trying to share it out into the industry so we can get a whole lot better at changing the world. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you for the next episode next month. New episode on the first of every month coming out. I'll see you then.
2: Forest fires, hurricanes, flooding, droughts, and extreme weather, every year sadly brings more proof that climate change is upon us and will get worse unless we act swiftly together. But the most important thing to remember is that the solution is not despair. In fact, it's quite the opposite. It's hope. Hope leads to action. We have all the solutions available to us now to not only draw down greenhouse gas emissions but also help curb climate change. All we have to do is act. If you're a designer or design educator wanting to be part of solving our climate crisis, the podcast Climify is for you. Host and design educator Eric Benson interviews claimed climate scientists and sustainability experts to find out how designers can help combat the climate crisis in their college classrooms. The discussions on this program are geared to help you Climify your syllabi to assign projects that not only teach design fundamentals, but also can have a positive impact on our climate. You can find Climify on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you want to join the conversation and become a climate designer, you can follow the show on Instagram at Climify Podcast, or head over to our great teaching resources at climatedesigners.org slash edu.